Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies. And today I'm talking with Krista McGee about my three favorite topics, yoga, birth, and babies. If you don't know Kristen, she is a celebrity yoga and Pilates instructor in New York City, and she currently teaches with Peloton. She's also starred in over 100 videos. She's been seen in several magazine and TV shows, and is a spokeswoman for many brands and causes she believes in, and she is the busy mom of three little boys. I got to know Kristen as she just completed the New York City PYC teacher training, and the more I chatted with her during the training, the more I realized, wow, our paths have really paralleled one another. We both started yoga back before yoga was even mainstream. We both started with Cindy Lee at Om Yoga. We were both performers. And the more we chatted during training, the more I thought, wow, I need to get on the podcast because this conversation I think would be uh, fruitful for everyone. So I hope you enjoy it. I had a blast talking to Kristen. Before we jump to that conversation, I do want to just comment on the upcoming yoga teacher training. So in my mind, I've been thinking a lot about what the responsibilities are of a yoga teacher. And especially times like right now, I keep thinking about a yoga teacher, prenatal yoga teacher training can support women to reclaim autonomy in birth. Now more than ever, choices are being taken away from women involving the care of their own body. And as a prenatal yoga teacher, we have the unique opportunity to offer and empower pregnant people to make their own choices in childbirth. If you don't know your choices, you don't have them. So if this resonates with you, please check out our 85-hour teacher training. We have one coming up in New York this fall, and there's four spots left. And then we'll be in Charlotte, North Carolina, in Washington, D.C., back in New York, and then over to Richmond, Virginia. So we have five trainings going on this year. And I'm just so impassioned about supporting pregnant people to respect and listen to their body and not have their choices taken away. And that's an integral part of our teacher training. It's teaching the teacher trainees how to seamlessly interweave evidence-based information into class to empower people to reclaim their body. Also, I know that was a lot to swallow. (laughs) Also, if you're enjoying this podcast, if you have a moment, please run over to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening to this and leave a rating review. Or we also take donations on our Prenatal Yoga Center website. All right. I gave you a lot to think about. So let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk with Kristen. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hi, Kristen. How are you today? I'm excellent, Deb. How are you? I'm doing so well. I'm so excited to get a chance to speak with you. I loved getting to know you during teacher training. And the more I chat with you, the more that I realize our paths are so similar. Um, you know, like when we started yoga and kind of what led us here and even our teachers. So I thought, why not throw this conversation into a podcast? Because it's truly everything the podcast is. We're going to talk about yoga. We're going to talk about birth. We're going to talk about babies. It's, it's the whole thing. So this is exciting. 100%. I know. I'm so excited. I loved it when we found out that we both studied with Cindy Lee as well. I know. Like in the early, early days, you know, I mean, it's early really, days. yeah. And it's sad that Oma has gone. I actually still, people ask me for a New York teacher training and I'm like, we don't have the best anymore. It's kind of sad, but let's jump into a little bit about you and what brought you to the world of yoga. Okay. So I am originally from Pocatello, Idaho. I moved to New York in the early 90s to finish my degree in acting. I grew up in a very musical family, and I always wanted to be an actress. So I started school in Southern California, and then I transferred to NYU. I declared a major in fine arts at Stella Adler, Tisch School of the Arts. 
and we were doing yoga as our warm up before our classes because they're so it's such a wonderful tool for prepare you, to prepare you for the stage mm-hmm. to connect you with your breath and your body and your voice and your movement. And this was back again in the early nineties before yoga was a cool thing. I lived right down the street from Jiva Mukti, the old Jiva Mukti. It was on second Avenue and I would go there after school and I would study with Sharon and David life. And then one of the teachers who was training there would, was also an NYU student at Adler. She would come and do warm ups with us in the morning. And I just loved her style when I graduated, my parents gave me a gym membership and it was the crunch gyms that were big back in the early nineties as well, or the nineties. And there was all these amazing teachers teaching at crunch, Cindy Lee, Sharon Gannon, David Life, Nikki Costello, Dana Flynn, Peter Rizzo, like all of these people who went on to open up their own yoga studios. Mm-hmm. And one day Cindy mentioned she was starting a teacher training and I jumped up and joined in and the rest is history. I I was mainly teaching yoga as I was auditioning and I would do some acting things here and there, but the yoga world just kept drawing me in and I kept getting more and more opportunities as a teacher. And I just love it. Was this down on the 14th street one before you, it must've been before Union Square, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I helped her in 1997. We did the teacher training and it was at a little space called Yogatopia. It was on 17th street. And then we helped her open. I remember like sweeping the floors and cleaning out the Ohm studio in 1998, she opened and it was the 14th street between six and seven. Yeah. I love that. It was so gritty. I really liked that one. It was so great, right? It was such a different time in the yoga world too. Definitely, definitely different time. And I feel like, I mean, it's still, I, I love it because I feel like there's this huge community as well now, but back then there was really a sense of community where you know, a lot of karma yoga service and Mm -hmm. Kristen who went on to open the yoga shala would, was running the front desk at Jiva Mukti. I remember (laughs) in, in exchange for just free classes and people would come and there was always a community class that was offered for free. And I just felt like it was such a neat environment back then. Yeah, it's definitely changed. There's still some awesome parts of it, but you know, I think you and I've been in for a long time that we've seen this evolution of it becoming mainstream. 100%. So let's talk a little bit about, I'm going to kind of bop all over the place. I have a whole bunch of questions and I'm like, where are we going to go next? So I want to talk about, since you have been practicing yoga for so long, have you noticed it changing as you've changed as a person, especially once you became a mother? Oh my gosh, 100%. Back in the day, it was like eager beaver. I would just go and take as many classes as I could went to all the yoga journal conferences, ran out to Estes Park. I did this yoga journal cruise. I would go and study at Omega, at Kripalu. I just had all this freedom and flexibility in my schedule and my life. And I could go and take two-hour teacher training um, every Wednesday after, or teacher classes every Wednesday afternoon, or go to Katona and study with a teacher I found later in life that I absolutely loved. And then when I became a parent, when I, my first child, Timothy, he's almost six now. I remember loving the practice while I was pregnant because I felt like it really supported pregnancy and helped me stay connected to my mind and my body and the changes that were happening and also give me something that I could do that would empower me on those days that I either felt nauseous or sick or as I started getting really big and I was like, oh, all I want to do is just kind of lay in soup Tabata Kanasana <laughs> at this point in my life. But when I found that it was a huge sacrifice that I had to kind of give up these really indulgent yoga sessions and these two hour classes or running to study with my favorite teacher, all of a sudden my life was consumed with my baby and I wanted to be with, with Timothy all of the time. And my practice had to change and evolve. And I had to find a way to either just do a lot less time or, or spend more time with him kind of involved in my practice. If he was lying underneath me the entire time (laughs) and I was trying to get a longer practice in it, just, I think things really, your whole life changes once you become a parent. What about as, and again, I'm going to disclose, I hope you're okay with that. You and I are on the same age. So (laughs) what, as you've also aged, have you noticed your practice changing? Cause I feel like 
in my 20s, especially coming also from performing background, a lot of dancing, I could kind of throw myself into anything and walk away unscathed. And now I'm like, okay, it's it's a different body. Do you feel like you've seen that too? Uh, so true. And it's funny because I, I think it used to feel like it was an advanced practice if I was either moving quickly or going into all sorts of crazy postures, inversions, this and that. And now I feel like an advanced practice is being able to slow down, be more mindful, really find the right alignment, mm-hmm. almost like unlearn some of the bad habits I learned in my 20s and my 30s, and that the practice is so much deeper in different ways and that it's less about these, um, less, almost less about the postures and more about what I'm doing when I'm in just few postures. I don't know how to explain it, but I know that you and I even spoke about this with slowing down and, and liking the Iyengar classes more now. I do. And it's funny, like you talk about Shiva Mukti when I first started, that's where I landed. I called them Mr. and Mrs. Mukti. Yes. <laughs> so I did a ton of that and they worked and they moved pretty quickly. And I was really into that. I briefly jumped into Ashtanga and I did, and I ended up with, um, my two main teachers were Shiva Ray and Cindy Lee, very different. Um, but it was a lot in the past. I did feel it was somewhat acrobatic and showy. And then as I fell into Iyengar for the last 13 years, it's so, it's the subtlety that I feel on my body that helps me actually get into what one would call an advanced pose and and safely doing it safely and not feeling achy after. And I think it is much more now about the safety and just the longevity of our bodies. I noticed that pregnancy, well, you and I both spoke about this as well. After I had my twins, I still kind of practiced a little crazy. Like I wasn't as like with Timothy, I was a little younger and it was one child and I still felt pretty great during my pregnancy. And the twins were so much harder on my body and I was still trying to kind of practice in a similar way. And then I developed diastasis and my body shifted so much after the pregnancy. I felt like it almost took two years to get back to a place of normalcy in my body and feel safe enough to start doing more things and not, you know, ruin my, or make the diastasis diastasis worse again. Mm -hmm. And my hips started to feel different. And sometimes I would feel a little bit of sciatica and I just don't have, I want to practice now in a way that's going to make my body feel good and prevent it from injury and, be able to just have that longevity in my practice. And I think that's where it's like slowing down and reexamining what I'm doing and being more patient with myself and really mindful. Yeah. And I love that you said that because I know a lot of yoga teachers, especially when, you know, this episode comes out, I think people are going to see your name, like, Oh, I want to hear this listening and practitioners as well. Listen to what you said that you, there are, will be an other side to if you don't honor the changes of the pregnant body. There are ramifications for many of us, you know, diastasis or pelvic floor issues or lower back, and they're all tied together. So now that you've done a prenatal certification, how are you approaching prenatal differently than you did before? Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money at Oh, so different. Your, your training and certification opened up my eyes in so many ways that I really wish I'd done something like that prior to having my babies. But now in retrospect, I understand just how important it is to honor the pregnant body, honor the postnatal body as well. And remember that it's not about just jumping back into getting in shape because there is still so much going on. And what you even said about 
studies saying that relaxin may even still be in the body up to a year post-pregnancy. And to tell, to remind women, especially who are active or who've had a really vigorous yoga practice, who, who want to get back into everything so quickly that it's like, it took a year to to grow the baby, give yourself a year to recover at the very minimal, even physically, mentally, spiritually. And it's an ongoing process because things will continue to shift and change. But I think that really learning about all the nuances and, and that it's not just about, um, giving a few modifications, like still keeping up with your yoga practice, but modifying twists and modifying, you know, backbends. No, it's actually, there's a lot of different things that can be happening during pregnancy from SI issues to like you were saying, low back issues to the position of the baby that we don't take into consideration, like certain postures you're not going to want to do if a mother has a baby that's breech or there's, so I like, I loved learning all of those different uh, nuances and really being able to practice to the pregnant community or teach to the pregnant community in a way that's very safe. I love hearing you say that because I bet before the training, you're like, you, that wouldn't even occur to you baby position. Maybe it would, but it just makes me so happy. I'm like, it's integrated. It's so great. It is. Yes. (laughs) Makes me thrilled. And also hopefully helping mothers navigate their pregnancies better and hopefully see like using the yoga, which is such a great way to find your voice and connect with your mind and your body, giving, hopefully that will also help mothers in outside of the yoga community and in the world of, because sometimes moms are just told to go take yoga when they get pregnant from their doctors. But then I think it helps them go back to their doctors and have much more of a voice. I Mm -hmm. learned that's really through your training more than anywhere. And I just, it's really sad because I just have um, a private yoga client I work with who's daughter-in-law went through a horrific pregnancy or um, childbirth process. And it was all exactly what you guys taught us. It was, she went in, they did the vaginal exam at 39 weeks. And I was like, oh, just tell them not to, not to, not to. (laughs) And then they insisted on inducing her on a Thursday because it was moving into the weekend, even though she was only like three days or maybe only a week overdue. And I was like, just give, give her time, give her time. And then they induced her, but I don't, they induced her before she even went into labor. She wasn't even going into labor. And then I think the, the baby's heart rate or something changed with the baby just recent. Oh, all she did was use the bathroom, come back. And after she had used the bathroom and they replugged in or whatever, it was like the, Oh, the baby's heart rate is is now like going down, but really it was almost like nothing was wrong with the baby at all. The baby was perfectly healthy. They took her into C-section without even, um, an epidural. They just gave her local anesthetic. And I guess the whole thing was traumatic. And then afterwards they didn't have a birthing room for her. She didn't get to see the baby. The husband wasn't even able to go with her to the C-section delivery because they told him that he had to gather up all the things from the room. So it was everything that you had talked about that can go wrong when you don't have a voice and when you don't understand the actual process of giving birth. So mm-hmm. I think that that's what I learned more than anything from the training too. And I wish that we could go out there and talk to every woman. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully this podcast will help give some voice to that. And most importantly, I hope that your, your client's daughter-in-law gets some support for the after because that's what ends up happening is people do go through a traumatized birth and then they're left on their own just to kind of struggle through or people say, oh, the baby's okay. That's all that matters. And we know that's not it, and especially with the hormonal changes. So exactly. I hope she gets some support to process process this a bit. I hope so too. And sorry, I didn't mean to di- like diverse from no, everything. No, but- no, I was actually heading us in. I love these conversations. They go wherever. And so that was actually yeah. kind of segueing into one of my favorite topics, <laughs> pregnancy and birth, because I can talk about yoga and pregnancy and birth all day long. So I want to shift a little there because I have a little bit of everything I want to talk to you about. So one of the things when I talk to people that have been through the journey, I love hearing people's different struggles and experiences. While all parents will have this common experience of crossing that threshold to parenthood, everyone's experience is different and personal. So I'm wondering if you would be okay talking about your journey into parenthood. Oh, 100%. Um, I think it's funny because I did, I became a mother later in life. I, I was always so kind of 
caught up in my, I wouldn't say my own little world, but when I, when I started teaching yoga and I was in this and, you know, New York city and just doing my own thing for so long, it didn't occur to me that, oh, things are going to shift and change as you get later in, in life. And I never had found anyone I was interested in. And then I finally was set up with my husband. And when we started trying to get pregnant, it wasn't happening. And I finally went to a hormone doctor who was like, oh, you know, I always, always did have irregular periods, but he said, you have hypothalamic amenorrhea, you don't ovulate on your own and you're going to need some assistance. So that's the funniest story, but we were at Columbia, um, fertility center, and this was during hurricane Sandy. I went, uh, like four days into my stem treatments or I was, I was doing an IVF cycle. I hadn't done anything up until this point. We had tried like some timed intercourse and then we decided to finally try IVF. So I'm giving myself these shots every night, which is not the most fun thing in the world. <laughs> and then hurricane Sandy happens and the electricity goes out. And if you know anything about, um, fertility treatments, you're supposed to keep your medication in the refrigerator. <laughs> so I was freaking out that maybe the medication was going to go bad and it's expensive. Yeah. medication. And then I hurried up to Columbia and the crane had fallen uh, over this huge building during the hurricane. And they blocked everything off from 57th street down to 50th between Broadway and the, the river. So I pretty much, that's right where my fertility treatment center was located and they had shut down. So I'm freaking out this morning and I called RMA, another reproductive medical associates where I had been teaching yoga for fertility classes. And the doctors are like, Oh my gosh, you have to come in. You've already given yourself X amount of shots. We need to at least figure out what's happening with your ovaries. I get there and they're, they were so excited. Oh, you have 16 follicles. We have to finish this treatment. So they finished my treatment. Long story short, we um, got some five embryos that were healthy and viable. And one of those was Timothy. We did the two embryo transfer and Timothy was born July 31st, 2013. So it was this, I had gone from being, um, you know, pretty much an independent person all my life. And even when I met my husband, he was very independent and we got married later in life. And then I had my son at 39 years old. I turned 40 actually a month after I had Timothy, but wow, what an, an eye-opening experience to all of a sudden become a parent, because especially when you're so used to being on your own and doing your own thing for so long and then having, this little life given to you that you are fully responsible for 24 seven, it just, it changes your whole world. And it, I think the hardest part for me was navigating my relationship with my husband because we never really spoke well enough or clearly enough about our parenting styles. And we have very different parenting styles. And I think sometimes you don't know what your style is even going to be until you have your first child but I became a very attachment style parent and he's much more of like the Ferber style parent where let's discipline the kid. Let's let them cry it out. Let's let them self soothe. And I was always the one who was like letting them get into my bed every night or wanting to sleep with him every night. Or, you know, I nursed Timothy until he was almost two years and a half. So that always like led to a little bit of friction between my husband and I, but I think we got to a really good place when the twins were born where I had to be a little less attachment parent because I couldn't always be there for two kids at the same time or two babies at the same time. Well, let's but, back that up to how did you sort out your differences? Like, what did you, did you just um, have a conversation? Did you like um, kind of find a happy medium between the two styles? Did, did he just I, surrender? <laughs> what? I think he had to surrender quite a bit, um, almost because. Timothy as a child too was very attached to me and we kept having this bond and I would bring him everywhere with me to, even when I had to work, I had to, at the time I was doing the home shopping network and, and selling a Pilates power gym. Um, and so he would even fly to Tampa with me. He just came everywhere with me. And I feel kind of bad because I feel like my husband got kind of pushed aside quite a bit and I didn't realize it. And he ended up just kind of diving into his work more. And we, 
we didn't get to the root of the matter well enough. And I think it was funny when I wanted to have more children, he was like, absolutely not. We're done. One is enough. And I begged him. I was like, come on, we still have these embryos. And the doctor who did the two embryo transfer that helped us get Timothy insisted on doing the two embryo transfer with the twins. We only had two viable ones left at that point. When they thawed the rest of the five, there was there was Timothy, and then we had five embryos left. And those of those five, only two survived. And he and then and then I got pregnant with twins, and he was just like, oh my gosh, the look on his face was just almost devastated. It was he was happy, but again, I think he was just like, oh my goodness. But then having the twins has actually made everything so much better because that's where we found the happy medium where all of a sudden I was a little more on board with him. Like, yes, our entire house would be chaos if we didn't enlist some sort of sleep training method with twins. And yes, we do need to, you know, find that middle ground and he needs to be more involved this time. And he had to be more involved because it's just impossible when you already have a three-year-old and two-year-old newborn, you know, newborn twins. It was like Tim and I just had to start cooperating more. So in, in a way it's kind of a godsend because I feel like the twins have brought us together more than anything. It's like, oh yay, we've all rallied now. But I, I still feel like we could have maybe used some counseling or some help or something after Timothy was born. And I wish more parents knew about that because I find it's very, very, tough transition for everyone because you go from being a couple to then having, you know, a a baby in your life and this new person and and everyone has different ways of relating and reacting. Yeah. We, I actually have a podcast called childproofing your marriage. I'll make sure I put the link in here for listeners. And it is literally about that. You know, maybe Maybe you might have had a conversation about parenting skills, but until you're actually there, it's kind of like labor, you know, like we, we talk about coping skills, but until you're there, you don't know what you're going to gravitate towards. Until you're in that mud, you don't really know what your reality is and finding the way to communicate because it can lead to some resentment. I feel like I'm doing more than you. You're not on board with this. And it's, it's a really murky ground that many of us haven't really been in, you know, that negotiation and then there's fatigue and... And you're, you're, you know, you're responsible for this life, this tiny little life. And it's overwhelming for many of us. So I'm going to make sure I put that in. But yeah, I think that I like that you talked about that and you were open talking about that because I think a lot of people can relate to it and are feeling it, maybe even feeling it right now. So this might give them kind of the jumping point to, to get on it so that, you know, cause you guys were, how many years were the, how much the older are the twins and Timothy? Cause you guys went through about a year or two of probably a challenge before. Definitely a year or two of challenge. And it was like, there was just a lot of kind of back and forth. And then I felt bad because we would lash out at each other or we would, you know, I would kind of retreat and then it would get worse. I would take Timothy even more just with me. And and it's like this, all this friction kept building. And then there was times when we could all come together. We had many happy times as well. So I'm not saying that it was like, horrible, but it just, we didn't have those coping skills. I wish we had listened to the podcast that you had. (laughs) But, um, I think that, I think that's really good for people to know that that is, that it's okay to have these emotions and these feelings. And then things really do change drastically. And the twins are, Timothy was born July 31st, 2013. The twins were born December 17th, 2016. So there was about three years of, and also I think that's an interesting shift too, because I think when I first asked about having more children, maybe this was, you know, when Timothy was around two or so, and my husband's like, well, you're going to have to stop nursing. And I just don't think I'm up for it. And then at three, it became a little easier because then Timothy was a little more like, oh, dad, let's, you know, then Tim had more ways of relating to him. Sometimes I think that men just don't have the same kind of relationships with newborns as mm-hmm. a, as a mother does. So mm-hmm. they almost feel like, well, what am I supposed to do? And then when Timothy became old enough to, to run and play soccer and jump and go do fun dad things, it was almost like Tim could step in more and have more, um, of a say in those things. So it gave him this confidence and pride. And I think that helped him also at that stage be like, okay, we can have more kids, you know, like, okay, now it's getting fun. Like, let's do this. So, that, 
That sounds great. I'm glad he found his way. And I think you're right. Many, many parents that, you know, many of the father figures often don't know. At least I can speak from what I've witnessed in my own. <laughs> my husband, I think, was a little happier when the, when our first was a little less fragile um, yeah. and then had something to relate to. And I also know that your two births were very different. Can so you talk different. a little bit about that and how you had to surrender to a very different birth for your, yes. your twins? And, you know, I... I was, I'm along the lines of what we learned a lot of in the training or just those options of like mothers really, you know, knowing that giving birth is a beautiful experience and nothing to be afraid of. And I really wanted to go all natural. And with Timothy, I, I was very lucky. He was born one day past his due date. I did an awesome acupuncture se- session at this place I love called the Yanova, which specializes. Oh, I know that place. Yeah. Uh, it's so great. Jill is amazing. She's someone you should get on your podcast. Um, and we did this fertility and, I mean, not fertility. She helped me with the fertility treatments, but we did this induction treatment that day of, and then that night I went into labor and it accelerated so quickly. By the time I got to the hospital, I was already, I think six or seven centimeters dilated. And the only thing that hadn't happened was my water hadn't broken and around 6 a.m. I think the doctor just physically broke the water. And then at 8.53, Timothy was born. So it was a hospital delivery, but it was natural. No epidural, nothing. I was able to, it was wonderful. I felt amazing, not amazing afterwards, but it was such a great experience because I felt like I was fully involved in everything. And then with the twins, I lucked out. I carried them to 39 and a half weeks and they were very healthy boys. The problem is that they were both pretty big in size. One was seven pounds, two ounces at birth. That was Robert. And William was six pounds, nine ounces at birth. So it's a lot of baby, a lot of, (laughs) and you're not a big person, (laughs) right? Isn't that crazy? And Robert was head down and he was the first one in, you know, we thought he was head down and first one in the canal, but towards the end of the pregnancy, William's little foot started to get in the way. And so my doctor was like, I'm just too nervous about this. I just think we need to go for a C-section. So that morning I went in for one more exam just to see if they had shifted. And he was like, nope, it's, it's too, makes me too nervous. Um, and so I had a C-section that evening, which was so interesting because it's such a different experience than, you know, I went from one extreme to the other, like the natural birth to a natural unmedicated to surgical with the twins. Um, and it's almost an outer body experience. At least the doctor was really awesome. Let me play James Taylor. My husband was there. I was, you know, it almost felt like I was at the dentist is the best way to explain it. Like you can't feel any pain, but there's still a little bit of that tugging. It's like all numb down there, but you can still kind of feel stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And it's so neat. Cause you do see your babies right away and you're just like, wow, this is incredible. But it's a diff- definitely a different experience than, than having, then getting the opportunity to push and to actually feel like you're the one delivering the baby yourself, if I, if I explain that correctly. Yeah. I mean, there's still, you know, for those listening, I don't want, I want to make sure that people understand like a surgical birth can still be, you know, it's still birth, but especially if you've had one and you thought you were having another vaginal birth, then literally within a day, you're like, okay, I guess this is the route we're going. That that's, that's mind spinning. Like, how do you keep your head on straight with that kind of thing? Totally. It's so different. And again, I, I that I'm happy that I experienced them both because I do want women to realize that, you know, both every kind of, no matter how you deliver, it is an incredible experience and they all come with their pros and cons. You know, after Timothy, I felt like I was going to pee my pants for a couple months, but after the twins, it was more like, the achy surgery, having to figure out how you can, you know, move again within the abdominal region. So there's different, there's different like healing Mm -hmm. things that come with either type of birth. There's like, you know, some women, um, have more, you have the tearing when they give birth vaginally. And then with the C-section, I personally felt like it was uncomfortable and I did not like the medication. Like I couldn't take the Oxycontin at all. Like it just made me feel really weird. Um, so I just did a little bit of extra strength Tylenol and it, I had my appendix taken out years ago. So I just felt kind of that feeling of surgery, uh, surgery. I don't even know how to explain it. Like just the scarring and stuff is achy, but I didn't feel 
like I couldn't move that well. A couple of weeks afterwards, I was already doing things. And maybe I should have, again, been more careful and listened to my body better or to my doctor. But my body also heals pretty well. So I was able to still do things. So I want women to know, like, once you have a C-section, it's there's the recovery process, but it's not also not like you're flat on your back and you can't do anything for a couple of weeks. Right. Yeah. I had, um, abdominal surgery and I was actually surprised what it felt like to have that scarring there. I remember the first time I had to sneeze, I was out of the house. Cause I remember first, every time I sneezed at home, I'd like put a pillow to brace my belly. And then the first time I sneezed, I was like, Oh my God, the scar is going to split open. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was right? yeah, that was a very strange feeling. So what about your postpartum experiences? How were they similar? Were they different emotionally, physically? how were they for you? I think postpartum. Okay. So with the, with Timothy, I feel like there's this almost like this, just mommy days that you don't even, no one gives you a chance to kind of catch up because you just go from like giving birth to having the baby to then figuring out how to nurse, then nursing 24 seven. And you don't really have any sleep, but you're still in this state of euphoria because you just love your baby so much and you've never had an experience like this, but then you also have so much hormonal roller coaster still happening. And to me, it almost feels like kind of a daze or a daydream. Like it just was like, Whoa, like the, my, my most vivid memory is being up in the middle of the night watching orange is the new black. And I don't even watch TV <laughs> at all. And that's and what you I chose to binge. Like I love it. I know. And I didn't even like the show that well, but it was on Netflix and my husband told me about it and I just turned it on and just kept watching episode after episode after episode of this orange is the new black. So, or I have like, and then I have these funny memories of like, um, like the programs he would watch, you know, like having super Y on or or different little things or just like the smell of certain foods or tastes now every now and then will come back to me and I'm like, Ooh, that's such a memory. But I didn't have a doula and I didn't have a night nurse. And my mother came from Idaho for a couple weeks to help out, which was incredible. But when she left, I felt like it was a little bit of um, a lonely experience. Like there's not, people don't tell you a lot about how to navigate, like, okay, now what do I do? You know, and, and meeting women at the playground, being able to live near Central Park and just get out of the house. I was lucky I had Timothy in the summer because at least I could just get outside all of the time. And I felt like the fresh air and the sunshine and meeting other moms helped a lot because I could talk to other women and just get a sense of like, Oh, what are you guys doing here? And what are you doing with this? And how, you know, get these ideas. And I think that helps a lot. And that's where the community of mothers come into such a huge play. I think as long as you can keep surrounding yourself with friends and Moms, I love that you have the postnatal yoga classes, that that even is a great environment and a community for women to just come and give themselves a treat without their baby. Or I love the mommy and me classes as well, where you can go and bond with other moms and the babies or find, you know, little classes to get them involved in right away. Like when I would go take Timothy to my gym or whatever it was, it just was at least an opportunity for me to kind of even observe what other people were doing, because I still feel like there's there's not a lot of, you know, you don't really get like a manual with anything. You just have to trust your gut and your instinct. <laughs> and that's where, you know, I liked, I had my babies also in New York and I found the difference now that I live in the suburbs. I had a similar experience. I had a summer first and winter second. And the ability in the summer just to throw, I, my pelvic floor was so bad, I couldn't really wear shea so much. So we used a bassinet a lot with our stroller. Just being able to get him out the door in the bassinet and see another adult face. And living near, I lived right between um, Central Park and also Riverside, so it's kind of smack in the middle. I would go to either and just seeing other parents and talking and connecting, it really, really helped. Then having a winter baby, I found that really hard. I found that really isolating. Yes. And that's something about new parenthood. It's it's so it can feel really isolating. Totally isolating. And people I don't think really talk about that an, enough to let people you know, I wish there was like a more little community groups that like would bond or or come together. I when I had the twins in the winter as well, and I completely agree with you. At least I had Timothy already and my husband, you know, and 
But my again in Idaho, my parents do the Christmas thing with my older brother and my younger brother and their families. So my mom came out right at the beginning, but then she went back home to be with the rest of my family. And my husband's parents are older and separated and his mom came for just a few days, but it was really tough because twins were a lot, a lot. Oh, sure. And like you said, you can't get outside easily and you can't just, because I felt like even when Timothy would start having like a tantrum or crying when you're in an apartment alone with a real, with a screaming baby, that's hysterical. You just want to die. But if you could get outside, you know, and like try and push them in the stroller or anything like that, it feels like a little bit better. But in the the winter cold New York city and December, there's not much running outside with screaming babies. (laughs) Were any of your friends having kids around the same time as you? Um, a lot of my friends I felt like had given birth earlier. I actually, one of my girlfriends did, she had Tessa, who's just a year older than Timothy. And she was very helpful. I absolutely love Karen. Um, so Karen, and then another girlfriend of mine, Brinley, um, I know Brinley. You know Brinley as well? She just had her third, right? Yes, her third girl. And she took classes at She did. And in fact, some of her pictures, we had a photographer in. Her face is all over um, the website. Oh. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that crazy? I'll make sure she listens to this. (laughs) Yes. Oh, she's the best. And we, we joke because it's like, you know, I had Timothy and then the twins. So all three boys and she has Piper Parker and now Penelope. So all three girls. <laughs> yeah. They just moved to the East side, right? Yeah. they yeah, did. They're great oh, people. I can't believe that. What a small world. They're yeah. wonderful people. So what's been your biggest challenge as a mother? I would say one thing in my mothering skills, my biggest challenge is discipline. I have a very hard time kind of drawing the line, you know, saying to my kids, no, you cannot do that. Or you cannot have that when it comes to their safety. Obviously I'm very good at that, but I'm, I'm still quite the pushover. So that's something I need to work on is just kind of finding those firm boundaries and not being afraid every now and then to just say no. And I think secondly, it's my, um, constantly navigating between my work professionally and my work as a mother, because I feel like every mother is a working mother. I mean, being a mom is a full-time job, regardless of whether you have a second job or not. But I feel like it's always kind of that tricky balance of, of spending time with my family and my children and spending time doing what I love and treating myself to, I mean, working is a choice that I, I, I choose because I love to do it. And so, you know, still finding that time for my career and to continue to grow as my own person. So though that's always, I think a a really tricky juggling act. And I think it's, you know, less so for men. I just feel like they never have that same kind of challenge that women do. I think it's, you know, it depends on how things fall into what I'm going to put in quotes, like traditional um, parents, you know, parenting, not formats, like um, roles, you know, like where. Yes, that's true. And for, I mean, and I, I know in my family, I definitely have the traditional mother role when it comes to the kids, like signing them for camp. I'm making sure Shay has his, his field uh, day shirt already, like the little things, you know, like that my husband yeah. wouldn't even think. And then, and then also working. And that was actually one of the questions I had about what's your biggest challenge in balancing work and, and motherhood? Because I have yet to figure it out. I've been doing it, but <laughs> I don't know if I've been doing it yeah, so right? well. <laughs> what's your, cha- what's your biggest challenge? delegation, you know, just being Mm. able to delegate and say, can you please help me do this? Or just setting out lists of things that other people can help you with. And then, I mean, thank goodness. I found a really, really, really good nanny. She is amazing. And she's able to step into my shoes and step up to the plate whenever I really need that extra help or that extra hand. I definitely couldn't do it if I didn't have her. Um, either that, or I'd have to move my mom and dad from Idaho to New York city. I feel that's the one thing that I do really, um, miss. And I, I think that's 
in other communities, um, if you even look at like Asian communities who a lot of times bring their grandparents into their homes, even with them or communities like in Idaho, even where I lived, I grew up in a community. Uh, there was a lot of Mormons in my town, in my hometown. I'm not Mormon myself, but they do have this very big sense of family values. And I feel like having family around to help out is so huge. And my mother helped me with both of my brothers and their children, and they all still live in Idaho, but I just don't have that luxury. So the one thing that I regret or the one thing that I, I do wish I had more of was just my, my extended family involved or around, even when the uncles and the cousins come or when my, my boys get to go back to Idaho and see everyone, it's such a neat, um, experience and such a great bond for everyone. So people who do have their families to help out or to rely on, I think that's a huge bonus. And I think people should take advantage of it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I grew up with my grandmother about 20 minutes, one of my grandmother's 20 minutes away. And in hindsight, I realized we were there a lot and she helped out a lot and not having that I do see it's, it's a challenge. So what has been something that delightfully surprised you about being a mother that you weren't expecting? Huh. Let's see. I think that it, um, it reopened my sense of play and Mm -hmm. imagination and curiosity. I think I'm the type of person, I'm a Virgo and I'm very disciplined and I've always been kind of that like work person or organization person or having to have things just so, and just right. And in a, you know, all aligned and very neat Well, having three boys, there's no way that's ever going to happen on any given day. Um, But they have just opened me up to being less rigid. And they, I feel like, you know, getting down on the floor and playing and imagining things or getting into their own little worlds of discovery. And there's even just going to the natural history museum or the zoo or going to art class or sing or music class and doing all of those things that we start to neglect as adults. We don't, um, I think like feed our inner child enough. And when you become a mother or a father or a parent, it's amazing because it, it forces you to go back to that childlike state yes. and, you know, go to the playground even and go down the slides with them. And you have to like, just, it just makes me have more fun. And I'm, I'm happy about that. Now, I, now that you say that, I absolutely see what you're saying. Like when my daughter discovers something that I had taken for granted, I'm like, you're absolutely right. She'd be like, we we're talking about butterflies the other day and legs. And she's like, butterflies don't have legs. I'm like, I know. Like, it was just like this discovery. Aww, and like, I guess so they're doing great. something about caterpillars and chrysalises and in class. And then they watch them, you know, birds into butterflies and let them go. But there was like this big discussion and discovery of software that we obviously knew, but she's just learning it. And there's such fascination and excitement. So I try to appreciate that too, because yeah, we, I think as adults, we can get become jaded, you know, like <laughs> we're just so busy with yeah. our heads and our phones or computers that we don't see the beauty of what's being learned for the first time. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you for one tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new or expectant parents. Okay, we'll be right back. And we're back. (laughs) So what is one tip or piece of advice you would like to offer new or expectant parents? One tip I would like to offer new and expecting parents is to... Uh, I would say, I said earlier about enlisting family and help if you can, if you have people around you. But I think a good tip is to maybe throw away your agenda. I feel like parenting and children and entering that whole stage is really a game changer in the fact that you can always have a plan, but it never goes as planned. I don't know how to explain it, but if you can have this sense of, you know, not having to stick so tightly to an agenda, it's going to make your life so much easier because babies are the one thing in life 
and children. And as they get older, even that are just so unpredictable. And you might think like, Oh, I finally have my child figured out, or I finally got their sleeping down, or I finally got their eating figured out. And the next thing you know, it's all going to shift and change. So it's about not being a, not being so tied to an agenda or a certain way of doing things. And I mentioned earlier in the podcast as well, that's where sometimes my husband and I would come up with friction early on in our, when we had our first child, because I think we both had an idea of how things should be or how we should parent or how our baby should be raised. When in reality, I think if we had just kind of let go of our agendas a little bit more and kind of went with the flow and laughed a little bit more about things and tried to navigate it together, it would have been much more smooth sailing. And that's easier said than done because I know, especially as a first time parent, it's nerve wracking, it's new, it's frustrating, it's scary. There's, there's so many things going on that you don't, you can't even imagine, but that the more you can stay present and in the moment and enjoy the ride and, and get out of your head about what has to happen or how it's going to happen or what the agenda should be, the, the better off everyone is. It just feels better. Do you realize that you just brought that full circle back to Om Yoga as you talked about that? What did Cindy talk about all the time? Non-attachment. Yes. I mean, yes. as you say that, I'm like, oh my God, it's the whole philosophy of the, of the so system that you and I learned. True. It's back to Cindy and not over and over. Non-attachment, non-attachment, especially because the, the Om Yoga was, you know, it's more the Buddhist philosophy that she studied more than the Hindu, which is the mother's. So I just love that. It's always there, whether you think you're doing yoga or not. It's it's the philosophy as much as the asana. All right, so let's start to tie up with where can people find you? Okay, my website is www.kristinmcgee.com. My my name is spelled K-R-I-S-T-I-N, mcgee.com. I am also teaching yoga now full-time for Peloton. If you're familiar with it, it's a live streaming device. You can take classes with me live, or you can also do them on demand later. That's onepeloton.com. It's P-E-L-O-T-O-N. They started with a bike, which, which I, I you love. Have, which awesome. I, you know, as soon as we're done with this and I press stop, I'm running to my Peloton You're going to go take your class. <laughs> so you can follow the live cycling, you can follow live running, or you can do those later on demand, or you don't need the hardware. You don't need the bike or the treadmill. You can just download Peloton on your iPhone or your computer and it's a digital subscription, which is awesome. You can take yoga classes. You can, you can take boot camp classes. You could take the running or the cycling on a different bike or treadmill at your gym. But um, I absolutely love working for the company. They're wonderful, and it's, it's really, really exciting and fun. Uh, and then I'm Kristen McGee on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. So if you ever want to reach out to me, I'm always available. Happy to connect and uh, give you more information on any of that. Oh, I love chatting with you, Kristen. This was so I love fun. I love talking to you too. All right, You're I'm gonna so wrap- amazing. Oh, thank you. As are you. All right, I'm going to wrap up because I got a bike to jump on. All right. So let me say goodbye yes. and I'll chat with you later. <laughs> All right. Be well. Uh, thank you so, so much. I'll talk to you soon. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.